Hi, and welcome to the Unveiled Podcast, where we discuss all things related to women to help us think Christianly in every area of life. We're committed to God's Word and are not afraid to explore tough issues in order to help us live out God's mission for our lives. I'm Sandy, and I'm here with Susie, and we serve together at Harvest Bible Church in Windsor. My training is in education and music, and Susie's passion is for women's ministry, theology, and biblical counseling. And in our last series, we looked at friendship, and at the end of the second um, episode, Susie, you gave us a a Susie list of ways that we can... um, become better in friendship. And one of the, one of the items that you mentioned was become better at telling stories. And that one stood out to me. And interestingly, um, something happened right after we recorded that podcast. It was a Wednesday and uh, we're here at the office together and we had finished recording. And about 30 minutes after we had recorded that episode on friendship, I got a message and I looked down on my phone and it was from a friend that I hadn't talked to really well in probably over two years. And it was just a short little sweet message. You've been on my heart. And I was really, I just was really touched at at God's timing in that. And um, I ended up having a great phone, phone call with her the next day. We talked for over an hour and and those lines of communication have opened up again, and I'm just very thankful. And I wanted to share that friendship story just mm-hmm. in a response to our podcast that we did. Yeah, I love that, Sandy. And uh, especially because I think we talked a lot about how to initiate friendships. But the reality is, I think a lot of us also ask, how can we maintain friendships? And it can be hard when we're adults and sometimes our friends move a distance away, or maybe we just get busy with life. We have children or maybe children at different stages of life or different types of careers, or maybe even attend different churches. And it can be hard to know how to maintain that. And yeah, here your friend thought of you and she took the time to just send you a little message, right? And that opened up opportunity Mm -hmm. to rebuild that. I think that's great. I think sometimes we have to do that. If someone's on your heart um, and you haven't chatted with them in a while, they're on your heart for a reason. Mm -hmm. Go ahead and make that effort to initiate that conversation and just send a word of encouragement. And if nothing comes of it, nothing comes of it, Mm -hmm. but at least you've reached out, but it might just be the opportunity to maintain a friendship that maybe was beginning to dwindle or you were wondering, where's this friendship going? Um, But we do have to be intentional. We have to have those lines of communication with our friends. I think also as adults, I know I've uh, seen this to be true in my own life because there's so many relationships to maintain. It's a beautiful thing, and we shouldn't be afraid of this, that even if you haven't seen a good friend in a while because they've moved out of town or whatever, when you do see them, it's okay if you haven't talked for a month or two. When you get back together, love on that person, make time for that person, and share with that person. I think you'll find that very quickly that relationship will be rekindled and you'll have a really sweet time together. Mm -hmm. Uh, So yeah, just some things I was thinking about. It's interesting. The Lord also gave me an opportunity to uh, maybe, maybe what God's teaching me and has been teaching me is uh, as my role as a pastor's wife, I, I do have to be good at initiating relationships. And so that's where God's always uh, giving me opportunities. 
So just recently, Aaron and I were on vacation, and usually, uh, quite often, we still attend our own church because we love our church family, but we happened to have an invite from some friends uh, that lived about two and a half hours away, and so we decided to go visit them at their church. And it's kind of funny because as we were driving along, I started thinking, hmm, I wonder if I should just mention to Aaron that when we get to the church, we should stick together. But I decided against saying anything because two reasons. I thought, well, couples always stick together when they're visiting a new church. Like when couples visit our church, they're always together. It's not as if one is over here and one is over there. They stick together. So couples do that. And then secondly, I'm like, I'm way beyond that. I don't need to communicate that to my husband because even if he does, you know, wander off, I'm going to be fine. But in all likelihood, we'll stick together. But sure enough, we were... (laughs) Inside the church, in within moments, Aaron is off talking to the pastor and some other men, and I'm left in the foyer by myself with maybe one other woman and the greeting team. So guess what I did? I joined the greeting team. I just stood there and started welcoming people in. <laughs> I'm like, what else am I supposed to do? I don't know where he's gone. I thought he had maybe gone to the pastor's office. And Because this was the first time being at this church, it was a foyer, but within the foyer, it was a fairly large foyer. There was chairs set up, and I thought maybe that was where the worship center was. So I was expecting people to come back into that room, Mm -hmm. and that's where the worship service was going to be beginning, only to realize that behind me, there was a much larger room, (laughs) and that's where all the people were anyways. But anyways, I I joined the greeting team and started welcoming people, (laughs) because what else am I supposed to do, right? (laughs) So so that was me. You just... You know, step into the role, into the situation that you're at, and uh, I had a good time. So that was my story of one more opportunity where I just had to initiate relationship and be friendly and make the first first move. So God keeps me on my toes, and at this point, I don't mind anymore. I kind of enjoy it. Oh, that's so funny. (laughs) You're thinking, normal people just go and they... They go as a couple, <laughs> but no, no, that's so funny. Did you sit together though? We did. Okay, yes. good. Oh my. Well, um, we're going to move on from friendship today, actually, and we're going to have uh, more of like a biblical counseling episode. We're going to focus on the issue of forgiveness, and uh, this is a, a pretty big episode, a pretty big um, issue, um, but. Um, we think it's an important one that, that we should cover. So if we, if we look at scripture, Jesus' words are clear in Matthew chapter 6, verses 14 and 15. It says, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Can you give us a definition of forgiveness? Is it a feeling, a decision? Is it a transaction? Mm-hmm. I think all those words are, are good words and they're part of it. But before we we begin into even giving the definitions, I just thought I wanted to say a couple things. And the first thing is that I haven't always been good at forgiveness. I uh, naturally tend to hold on to hurt because I would rather not have to talk about it or confront issues. Mm-hmm. And there has been too many times when I've thought, well, I'll just try to ignore it and move on and um, you know it's easier just to stay quiet than it is to 
actually confront the issue. But I've learned that that is not beneficial and actually does me more harm than good. And it's not as easy just to tuck it away. I might think it's been tucked away, but it's still Mm -hmm. there hurting me. Mm -hmm. And so from personal experience, I've had to learn how to do this better. And uh, I'm sure there's many women out there that might be able to relate to that. And along with that, I just also want to acknowledge that if there's a need for forgiveness, it's probably because you've been hurt, right? It, it starts with a hurt because there's been an offense that has been committed against you. And I want to acknowledge that I know that the women listening to this podcast have been hurt and probably in a variety of ways. And I can't even begin to imagine or know all the ways that the women that are listening have been hurt. And so if uh, you've been hurt, I want to you to know that although I don't know what specifically you've gone through, uh, I am approaching this with that in mind and I can't touch on every type of hurt but I hope that a biblical understanding of forgiveness and learning to deal with that hurt will help you regardless of what it is that you've gone through. I recently heard uh, someone say that healing is painful and I thought that was such a valuable comment to make because I think sometimes we think it should be easy as soon as we confront the issue as soon as I say I forgive then the hurt will be gone but that's not always the case just like if we've had a surgery usually there's like that six week mark right that you still have to take it easy. You need lots of rest. You might need some uh, medication or antibiotics or different types of treatment to help you through that process. And it can be very painful. The The wound has been taken care of, but mm. the healing is still in process. Mm. And so if you're looking to this podcast thinking that maybe finally I'll have a quick fix to the hurt that I've been feeling, just be prepared that healing is painful and it is a process. And it might take more than six weeks. A surgery usually takes six weeks to recover from, um, at least to get you back on your feet again. But you're usually not fully healed after that. And same thing with emotional, spiritual, relational wounds. Um, it starts with having that conversation and repentance and forgiveness, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you're completely healed. Mm-hmm. Give yourself time and be patient, not excusing yourself to stay where you're at. You want to be proactive in moving forward, but just be prepared that healing is painful. And um, and then just the depth of things that people go through. Like I recently had a girl share with me that she had grown up in a home where her mother was addicted to cocaine. And by the age of four, she had been uh, sexually abused by her uncle. I think that abuse, maybe other types of abuse, continued for many years. And as she's telling this story, I just thought like, how horrific it would be to have that in your background. And I'm sure there's women listening here that have similar stories. And so I don't want to in any way sound in any part of my podcast that I minimize the hurt that anyone has gone through. There are no words for some mm-hmm. of those kind, kinds of, of pain. And so I, I also want to tell you that 
it's okay to cry and it's okay to say it hurts. We don't have to pretend that um, it doesn't matter or that it didn't hurt or that it didn't affect us when someone has violated us. No, the reality is it starts with acknowledging, no, that was wrong. That was painful. That shouldn't have happened. Um, We don't want to stay there because that's going to quickly turn into bitterness if we stay there. But it starts there because without actually acknowledging that it was wrong, how can we actually even move towards forgiveness, right? So I did want to say that. So with with forgiveness, like what does it actually mean to forgive? And um, you used words like, uh, is it a feeling? Is it a decision? Is it a transaction? Well, certainly I would say it starts with the decision, decision to be obedient. Uh, a true act of forgiveness does need a transaction because in order to forgive, it starts with that person repenting and then you granting that forgiveness. And then I'd say in terms of a feeling, well, maybe the feeling doesn't come right away, but with time, the feelings will change if there's been genuine repentance and forgiveness offered. Um, But let's look at God's word and as I looked to God's word, I did look up the actual Greek words and what they meant. And I'm not even going to try and pronounce the Greek words. But one of the words, um, the definition for that word meant to graciously confer. To confer means to grant. Uh, or it could mean I pardon or I show kindness. So that's repentance. So granting, pardoning, and kindness are all part of forgiveness. And then the other word meant I send away, I let go, I release, permit or depart, I cast out. And so those are all words of of letting go, of getting rid of as well. Um, One of the dictionaries, the Bible dictionaries that I looked up, gave the definition for forgiveness in this way. It said, forgiveness of sin is one of the constant Constituent parts of justification. In pardoning sin, God absolves the sinner from the condemnation of the law and that on account of the work of Christ, he removes the guilt of sin or the sinner's actual liability to eternal wrath on account of it. All sins are forgiven freely. The sinner is by the this act of grace forever freed from the guilt and penalty of his sins. This is the p- peculiar prerogative of God. Mm-hmm. And it is offered to all in the gospel. So the foundation of our understanding of forgiveness has to come from the gospel of Jesus Christ in what God has done for us. And so to kind of condense this, I formed my own little definition uh, to say that forgiveness is the element of the gospel where God in his grace releases the sinner from his wrath and the sinner is freed from the penalty of sin for eternity. Mm. And so those of us that have received that grace, received that forgiveness, uh, can find so much confidence and so much comfort in that, knowing that we have been completely and perfectly released from that guilt Mm -hmm. and from God's wrath towards us. And this is for eternity. Mm. That is so overwhelmingly awesome to think Mm -hmm. about. And then from that it should really give us an understanding of how we are to forgive and how we 
can forgive because if we have been forgiven by God for the things that we have done, we should certainly be humble enough and gracious enough to forgive others as well. Mm. Um, at the same time, I wanted to point out that God forgives those who repent and believe in him, right? So his forgiveness isn't just given to everybody. It's given to those who are repentant and who have faith in him. Uh, So on the flip side, then, those who are unrepentant are damned to eternal separation from God. And so let's keep that in mind as we continue talking here, right? God's forgiveness is free and it is unconditional on our part. We don't have to earn it, but it does start the moment that we repent and we f- we believe in him and mm-hmm. in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Uh, so, yeah, and so as we are thinking about forgiveness and uh, what it's all about, it, like I already said, it is a, a decision. It is... Um, a decision, but then it's also a process, right? Uh, it's a choice, but then it's a continuous choice because we've probably all had times when we've said, I forgive, and then the hurt comes up again. So then we can once again choose to hold on to that or we can choose to lay it back down. And so every time these memories come up, if we've truly forgiven, we need to lay it back down and give it back to God. So that's a little bit about forgiveness. Mm. Just a beginning. It's <laughs> the beginning. But I, I love that it starts with the gospel. It starts with um, God's forgiveness toward us and getting that that mindset um, ready to be able to, to, to think about forgiving others. Um, so when my kids were younger and they would argue or hit each other, you know, as a parent, you try and, and, and teach them, you know, you apologize and then... You know, your sibling, you need to forgive your, your sibling for what they've done. And sometimes the apology is done begrudgingly, just simply out of obedience. Um, other times, um, the forgiveness or the apology is done with the realization, with the hurt that they caused. And and we do see true repentance. Um, so we are called to, to forgive as believers, but is a half-hearted forgiveness maybe with a hesitation actual forgiveness or is it just a starting point Mm -hmm. well i think sometimes it is a starting point because initially when someone's confronted they might partially acknowledge they were wrong but they might still feel justified Mm -hmm. or want to blame or excuse themselves but it could be a starting point i also think especially as parents or maybe teachers if you're teaching children uh doing this is a very teachable moment to Mm -hmm. teach children right from wrong and how they need to take ownership and responsibility for the wrongs that they have done so i think it's very good we we should absolutely teach our our children our students to admit when they have done wrong and to actually be able to communicate that to the person that they have offended. Mm -hmm. I think at times, if we see a half-hearted apology or a half-hearted forgiveness, um, sometimes we have to accept that and just trust God to continue working in their life. But I think sometimes as parents, and I'll put myself in there as well, 
sometimes it was a bit of a cheap cop out. Mm -hmm. We've done our part. We've had our kid apologize and offer forgiveness, but we know both of them aren't in the right state of mind and their heart is still wrong, but we Mm -hmm. let them just stick with that. And so maybe what we need to do, I think we shouldn't, I don't think we should push our kids to be immediately repentant and, um, and offer forgiveness as much as we would like that. Mm -hmm. But to push them towards that is probably causing them to be fake. Mm -hmm. But if we see that um, they have been half-hearted, maybe we need to say, you know what? Thank you for apologizing or thank you for offering forgiveness, but I can tell your heart's not quite there. And I don't want to push you towards saying something that isn't actually earnest or true of where you're at. But I want you to keep thinking about this and I want you to still ask God to continue working your heart because you're not quite where you need to be. And I can tell that by the look on your face, by the Mm -hmm. attitude that you have or the tone of your voice. And so I want to be patient with you because I know even in my own heart, sometimes it takes time for me to get there. But I also want you to know that as your mom or as your teacher, you're not finished yet. So keep working on it with Mm -hmm. God, between you and God, and get to that place where you can fully be repentant or where you can fully offer forgiveness. Because if you don't, you're going to either, you know, be too soft on your sin or you're gonna um, allow your heart to become hardened and bitter and we don't want our children to get to that point so we want them uh, we want to be patient with them we want to talk them through it but we do want them to seek full restoration and not just Mm. be content with Mm -hmm. half-hearted restoration Mm -hmm. right and so sometimes I think as parents we we cop out too too quickly and Mm. too easily. And I know I've certainly done that in my life, um, but I think we need to do better many Mm. times. Yeah, not just go through the motions. Mm -hmm. That's good. I think adults as well can do that. Yep. Um, Are we to forgive only to those who ask for it? So when someone wrongs you, is it necessary to tell them that you forgive them, even if they don't ask? Or... Uh, is it something that you do silently? Okay, this is also a very good question. I think a question that a lot of people wrestle with because many times when you've been hurt, there is no apology that is given. Mm -hmm. There is no act of repentance and you have to move forward in life. And how do you do that in a way that you are staying clear and soft within your own heart? So some would say that because God's forgiveness towards us at salvation only follows repentance. Repentance is also necessary for you to grant forgiveness to another person. And I think they would probably look at scriptures like um, uh, Luke 17 verse 3 that says, pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him, right? Mm-hmm. So there's that little word, if. Mm-hmm. It's it's kind of a prerogative, something that comes before repentance. And then there's other people that would say, well, forgiveness is not dependent on repentance, that the believer, believer is simply obligated to forgive or release that sin, even if um, no one ever repents or offers remorse. And maybe they'd look at a verse like, Matthew 18, 35, that says, so also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Mm -hmm. And so you can see that forgiveness here is deeper than just 
a word that is spoken. It comes from your heart. Your heart changes. Mm-hmm. And um, and so I, I can see see both perspectives. But let's just get a bit of, of a better understanding and also look at the Greek word for repentance. So uh, once again, I'm not going to try and state the Greek word, but the Greek word means I change my mind. I change the inner man um, particularly with a reference to acceptance of the will of God. And so uh, to to repent does mean that there's a change of mind that has happened. There's a change in the inner man. So once again, they're not just changing their mind, they're choosing, they want to be different. Uh, so clearly repentance includes that change of mind, that change of direction. I do think that with repentance, there is a variety of emotions that people will show and so I just caution you not to be too quick to judge a person and too quick to say, oh, I don't think they're truly repentant. They haven't mm-hmm. shown enough emotion or I need them to prove that they really are remorseful. People will um, people will express that differently. But true repentance will result in change of behavior. But I think we also want to be careful to to be patient with that because behavior it it's slow to change Mm -hmm. i know in my own life there's times when i hate what i've just done and i'm like why am i still doing this i've been a christian for so long and i know my own life that's that change can sometimes be very slow much slower than i'd like it to be Mm -hmm. so that's true of me i also have to acknowledge that it will be true of other people and so just because they haven't changed overnight doesn't mean that they're not repentant yeah um so we want to offer the same patience towards them as God is also given to us so many times. But I do want to say that if you are the one that is repenting, I think it's very important that you express sorrow over the hurt that you have caused. Because sometimes people will be quick to say, oh yeah, I struggle with that sin. I struggle with anger or I struggle with slander and it's just so hard. It just so happens mm-hmm. and that almost appears to be more selfish, right? So instead of acknowledging that your slander or your harshness, your angry words hurt the other person, all of a sudden it becomes more about you. Like, oh, but like this is just who I mm-hmm. am and I can't help myself. Mm-hmm. It just happens so quickly before I can stop myself. And all of a sudden, instead of focusing on the fact that your actions hurt that other person, it's woe is me because life is so hard and so hard. I've had this this struggle and I'm wrestling, right? To become a victim so again. Exactly. Yeah. You're yeah. making yourself to be the victim when you actually hurt the other yeah. person. So uh, yeah, I, I do want to encourage you not to be too judged, quick to judge others if they repent, accept it. But if you're the one repenting, be careful to acknowledge that you hurt that person. Mm-hmm. That will go a long way in helping that person to overcome their their hurt and bitterness towards you. Um, So all of this, I would say, I I just want to be fully humble here. I think there is a bit of a mystery when it comes to repentance and forgiveness. And probably most scholars would even agree with that. We certainly don't want to compromise the truth. But there is a bit of a mystery here as as there is with much of uh, God's word. We, We can't be so rigid that if someone repents in a way that doesn't fit our style, that we accuse them of being unrepentant. Um, I think if you're unsure, think 
the best of them as much as possible. And just know that time will tell. In the end, you will see if that person truly is repentant and and willing to change mm-hmm. or if that person just faked it and probably deceived themselves as yeah. much as they are deceiving you because they'll quickly fall into their old ways. Um, and in regards to just that conflict that we have between do you offer repentance, do you grant repentance to someone who never actually apologizes. I, w- I think one of the best descriptions I've heard is by Ken Sand in his his book, uh, I think it's Peacemaker. Mm-hmm. And this is how he describes it. He says, when an offense is too serious to overlook and the offender has not yet repented, you may need to approach forgiveness as a two-stage process. The first stage requires having an attitude of forgiveness. And the second is granting forgiveness. So having an attitude of forgiveness is unconditional and is a commitment you make to God. By his grace, you seek to maintain a loving and merciful attitude towards someone who has offended you. This requires making and living out the first promise of forgiveness, which means you will not dwell on the hurt, hurtful incident or seek vengeance or Mm. retribution in thought, word or deed. And so... um, in this first stage, when he talks about having that attitude of forgiveness, I think if possible, you should go and discuss the sin with the offender with the hope of repentance. Too often, we just sit back and wait for the person to come to us. Um, but first of all, sometimes they don't know, and sometimes they're just too pr- prideful to come to you. So then you need to be the one that goes mm-hmm. and confronts them, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and as you do, you do need to be prepared for any response they might quickly be willing to say, I'm so glad that you confronted me. You're right. I was wrong. I'm sorry. But they might just be unwilling. They Mm -hmm. might say, I don't care. Or I think you're, they might say you're being too sensitive Mm -hmm. and you're taking things too, um, you know, too personally and just make fun of you or whatever it might be. So if they, if you do go and confront them and they refuse to repent, um, then you can continue to pray for that person. You may need to seek counsel from someone who's able to help you through that process. I don't think you should go and talk to everybody because then all of a sudden you become guilty of slander and gossip. Mm -hmm. But go and talk to a mature person who is able to help you through it and give you some sound counsel and wisdom to know how to proceed or how to overcome the hurt regardless of the lack of repentance. And then, of course, the second stage is uh, when you do grant forgiveness because they have repented. And if they have repented, we need to acknowledge that repentance and forgiveness are part of the gospel. And we should seek that. And we should grant forgiveness when there is that apology that is made. Um, but we don't have to feel like we we need to be too quick to grant forgiveness, right? That first stage of granting forgiveness, if if they haven't repented, I think we have to be careful about that. Not that it can never be done, but if you grant forgiveness to someone who has not apologized or has not repented, even though you've confronted them, you might actually be robbing that guilty person of their need to repent and to actually acknowledge the guilt that they have incurred. You're being too soft on them, Mm. and they're getting away with continuing to sin. You might actually be facilitating their sin by saying, I forgive you when they 
aren't actually sorry? Mm-hmm. How can you forgive when they're continuing in their sin mm-hmm. or, or their bad attitude or if they don't actually even think they need forgiveness? Um, so granting forgiveness is different than having that heart attitude. So one thing I think we do need to be clear on that no matter what, whether they repent and apologize or not, we are responsible for our own hearts. And all believers must agree that our heart needs to be clear of bitterness. We cannot hold on to bitterness just because they have not um, repented. We should not seek personal vengeance towards that person if they have not repented. God says, vengeance is mine, I will Mm -hmm. repay. So trust Mm -hmm. God to do what needs to be done. But we personally don't have that right for vengeance. There is absolutely no room for a hard heart just because that person hasn't repented. And the reality is if you are stirring up bitterness in your own heart, you're not willing to have that attitude of being willing to forgive you will become a hard-hearted person, and that is wrong. Ephesians 4.30-31 to 31 very clearly says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness mm. and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. And so make sure that bitterness does not take root. Mm-hmm. Um, at the same time, so... There's going to be many times that people slightly offend you or hurt you. And if we were to confront every single issue, we would be busy all day long. And we might just be considered negative Nellies all the time because we're just constantly bringing up, yep. you know, the, those more minor things. Uh, and so Proverbs nineteen eleven even says, good sense makes one slow to anger and it is his glory to overlook an mm-hmm. offense. And so there's many offenses that we should be willing to overlook and not, you know, make sure that everyone's always repenting and apologizing for every little thing that they do. Um, Let's be quick to love on people, slow to anger, as it says, Mm -hmm. and overlooking offenses. So what are some of these examples? I would say if we can ask ourselves, like, did they act in ignorance? Do they actually not even know that they did wrong or that their words hurt you? Um, Or... Are they even aware of their sin? Was it a mistake or was it a sin? There's a difference there, right? And sometimes we can just call people out for everything and make everything a sin when sometimes it's just an innocent mistake. And here, I'll actually give you an example of this. This is kind of embarrassing. I might have said this before, but even growing up in the culture that I grew up in, I did not, I, I, I did not learn personal manners. So w- using words like excuse me mm. or thank you, or, um, yeah, those are probably the main things. Those are just not part of our our language. And as I grew older and got out of that culture a little bit, I started realizing that there was times that I I think I offended people Mm. by my lack of that. And so certainly when I became aware of it, I had to start using those words more regularly and to some people that might seem so bizarre like how do you not know when to say excuse me or or um you know thank you that just was not common and so I had to learn that and so in that sense that was a mistake it wasn't a sin on my part uh, I wasn't intentionally trying to be rude, right? <laughs> so it's just kind of a funny thing, understanding each other's cultures or um, the way we've been brought right. up 
let's think the best of people. Mm-hmm. Um, and then are you able to discern their intentions? So we want to be careful not to be too quick to judge people. But if you can in any way say, I know that person didn't mean it that way. If we can assume the best and mm-hmm. say, you know, this is what they said. And this often happens in a time of, of hurt or a time of suffering, right? So when someone's going through a grief or a loss, uh, mm. people often say the wrong thing. Mm-hmm. And in those times, it can be very hurtful. I want to acknowledge absolutely if you're the one grieving or suffering that loss, it can be hurtful when somebody says something totally inappropriate. Yeah. But even in your hurt, if you can choose to think the best, realizing that person didn't mean to hurt me, I think those are the kind of things you can overlook. But at the same time, then, if there's an opportunity to teach people, maybe once you've kind of moved through some of your suffering, absolutely be willing to, in a very gracious way, teach people these are good things to say Mm -hmm. in this hurtful situation, and these are not helpful things to say. Uh, Because someone who's never lost... A loved one, a mother or grandfather, or um, never been through a divorce. Certainly, we can, in some ways, relate to one another because we've all been hurt in one way or another. But we don't fully understand, and mm-hmm. sometimes the things we say are actually just not good things to yeah. say. So teach us, yeah. right? Absolutely, be willing to teach those that haven't suffered in in the way that you have what are mm-hmm. good things to say or not to say. Um, I would say also. Um, things you can overlook is if there's more of a prefer if something is more of a preference than a need. Uh, so you if you would prefer to go out with your girlf- you know your friends every weekend, it's not necessarily a need. Maybe your friends aren't available to do that. So you can overlook those kind of things instead yeah. of judging them, yeah. right? And then also, um, in terms of some people have the gift of being very giving, whether it's financially or just mm-hmm. serving, giving of their time, being very compassionate. And those are all things that we should be excelling in and in, in getting better at. But if you happen to be very high in those things and very good at those things, you can try and overlook the person that isn't quite that good let's Mm -hmm. not be too quick to judge people so those are just a few things that came to mind Mm -hmm. about things that we maybe should be more quick to overlook rather than get bitter and angry and upset Mm -hmm. about Uh, so yeah lots there right about forgiving uh, the people who repent having an attitude of forgiveness towards that don't and then also being willing to overlook offenses Mm -hmm. if they aren't the big ones. Mm-hmm. It reminds me of that quote that you like to say the humble woman is hard to offend. Right. Yeah. So keeping ourselves humble and, and I think it is common and normal to want to avoid any conflict as well. And, but um, knowing when, when to speak up and when maybe to overlook. Right. Um, you've been a pastor's wife, Susie, for quite, quite a while, long enough to see some very difficult people, difficult situations You've seen dark sin in people's lives. You've seen women who've endured ab- abuse. Um, you spoke earlier of, of a child who was mistreated. Um, as we look at forgiveness, do you see any loopholes in the call to forgive? So I think what I mean here is um, when people maybe justify their anger or... Um, even even with children, like, oh, but they started it. Mm-hmm. Finding that, um, are there any loopholes to forgiveness? 
Absolutely. I think that's a good point because we are quick to blame others rather than taking personal responsibility Mm -hmm. for our own lives. And we saw that way back in the Garden of Eden, right? Uh, Eve blamed the serpent and Adam blamed Eve. Nobody Mm. wanted to take personal ownership for their own sins. So certainly um, we have to be willing to also look to our own errors and be willing to acknowledge that. But uh, I also just wanted to say, once again, I said this earlier, but I think it's important to acknowledge that you have been hurt mm-hmm. and that it's okay to grieve that. And that grief will look different depending on how deep that hurt is. And in all honesty, even as a counselor and as a mature Christian, there was a season in my life where I was going through some significant hurt. And I had a friend of mine give me permission to say that it hurts. And even looking back now, I think like, why did I need that? Why mm. would I need another person to s- give me permission and um because of course if someone hurts you it's okay to say that i would be quick to tell other people that but i think sometimes in our own lives it's almost like we need someone else to be able to say Mm -hmm. that because maybe sometimes we have a hard time discerning you know were they actually wrong or am i just being overly uh sensitive here and we can get confused in our own minds right mm-hmm. but when someone actually grants you that forgiven or that permission it's very freeing and i found that very freeing and helpful in my own life so i also just want to say if if you've been hurt it's okay to say that like admit that you've been hurt sin hurts when people offend you when they betray you it is hurtful mm-hmm. and we don't have to pretend it's not but at the same time we we can't stay there. We can't dwell on the situation. And so instead of dwelling on the situation, let's start by saying it hurt, but then move towards dwelling on God's love and his grace. Another big thing I think we have to do is play, not to play the role of the victim, but to play the role of the redeemed, right? We are, re- if we are children of God, we are redeemed. We are set free. And Whatever that person did to us has no bearing on our identity, mm. but the beloved Jesus has bearing on our identity. And I actually just want to jump back to that situation that I shared at the beginning of this podcast when I was talking with a girl who had been uh, raised in a home where her mother was a coke addict and had been sexually abused from the time that she was four. This girl, actually, she wrote a, a poem called Forgive Me. Mm. And she started off by telling about all the things that had happened to her. But in the end, she recognized that she herself was a sinner and was in need of forgiveness. And in no way did that poem give me the impression that despite the horrible things that had happened to her, was she playing the role of the victim? She was at a point where she recognized, no, she herself needed forgiveness Mm. for the things that she had done and she needed God to forgive her. And that was the beginning of God doing some radical things in her life. And she got baptized shortly after that. Wow. Uh, So a powerful story. Mm. And once again, from a human perspective, if anybody has a right to play the role of a victim, it would be a woman like that. But she recognized that, and I think that was the beginning of her healing. She was not going to just blame her sin on what other people had done Mm. to her and justify it. No, she was willing to say, yeah, that happened to me, but I myself am a sinner in need of Mm. God's forgiveness. And and then we begin, we can start living on mission and live on mission for God and 
start helping other people who have been hurt in similar ways, right? Our story is meant to help others. As we have been comforted by God, we can go and comfort others. And and then it takes the focus off of ourselves and onto, first of all, God and, and onto other people, right? Because if we stay in our hurt, we can become very, very selfish and self-protective and uh, there is actually nothing loving about a bitter person. You mm-hmm. cannot be loving and bitter at the same time. And so move forward, like start focusing on on what God has in store for you, the love that he has for you, the restoration he has given you, and how can you go and love on other people. So no matter what has happened, we are not permitted to stay bitter. That is not an option mm-hmm. And uh, so if we're able to, let's go and restore. If we're not, let's trust God to be the rightful judge there and um, and not just blame other people, not play the role of victim, take ownership for our own sins, and then move forward in confidence knowing that Christ has mm-hmm. re- redeemed us, mm-hmm. right? And not allowing their shame or their sin to identify us. Their shame is not our shame. I'm only responsible for my own sin. And if the blood of Jesus Christ has has covered my shame, I do not need to live in that shame. Mm -hmm. Wow. Well, thanks for sharing that, that powerful story of that woman and just that freedom that she must have experienced after um, asking for forgiveness. Wow. That was, that was great. Um, What are, what would you say are the consequences either spiritually, emotionally, or physically of withholding forgiveness? Right. So absolutely. If we are going to be bitter people, there are going to be consequences. So spiritually, Matthew 6, 14 to 15, the verse that you read at the beginning Mm -hmm. clearly states, if you don't forgive, God won't forgive you either. And uh, if we harbor sin in our hearts, then God will not listen to our prayers. So that's huge. Mm -hmm. That impacts our spiritual relationship with God, which is the most significant uh through that as well we will begin lacking trust in god because if we can't trust him with the hurt how will we trust him in other ways uh it will begin impacting our relationships because if we're holding on to bitterness and hurt um we will begin protecting ourselves which means that we won't uh even be able to trust anybody it'll impact our intimacy with other people and we'll always have this this wall up thinking that okay i've already been hurt i can never let anybody hurt me again mm. so you build up this wall which means that you actually aren't able to have true relationships you you kind of have these surface level fake relationships and even in the relationships that you have you'll probably start becoming a suspicious perpet person uh you'll always be thinking that people are out to get you and um you're just a suspicious thinking always wondering what other people are thinking about you or Mm -hmm. what they're going to do to you or uh, uh, say about you and so once again it bitterness is very destructive in uh, your physical mind it's destructive in your spiritual relationship it's destructive in your uh, emotional health, your your relational health, bitterness literally kills you. And once again, I knew of a woman who uh, had harbored bitterness and hurt in her life for decades. Mm. And 
In time, when she could no longer handle it anymore, she attempted to commit suicide. Mm -hmm. Thankfully, the Lord saved her life, and she did not die. And I think in the process, she was able to reconcile some of the relationship that she had been bitter towards. But it was just an example that harboring bitterness can literally lead Mm -hmm. to physical death. Mm -hmm. And even if it doesn't lead to that, you are a hard-hearted person, which means that you are probably going to be wrestling with anger. And anger isn't just angry outbursts. It can be just a hard heart, uh, uh, a seething from within. Mm-hmm. Um, could cause you to have just a general bitter outlook on life, right? Like if you're bitter with one thing, you just slowly begin to have a general bitter outlook on all of life. And I think some of us all had to be a bit careful about that after... Uh, the last three years, right, that we were in a real battle and we saw some really, you know, inhumane things happening and we were on the fight. We were Mm -hmm. always, you know, trying to protect ourselves and to fight for justice. And yes, there's times when we are in intense battle, but we had to kind of choose to say, okay, there was a period of time where we had to be on guard and maybe our main role during that time was to be fighters but we don't want to be characterized as fighters for the rest of our lives and so we had to do a mental shift there and I think the people that were able to do a mental shift and say okay yeah we still want to be awake and aware of what's going on and ready to speak up and to fight as necessary but we're not going to make that the main mission of our life Mm -hmm. I think we've done much better but those who've just stayed angry at the government and the health unit and maybe personal relationships you're probably going to see them trickling into bitterness in many areas of Mm -hmm. their life, right? Mm -hmm. And they just become angry at the world. And of course, if you're angry at the world, how can you have fruitful relationships? And um, marriages get broken from that bitterness. You might even become an abusive parent because if you've got anger and bitterness in your own heart, once again, there's no joy. And like I said earlier, a bitter person and a loving person don't work well together. You you aren't both a bitter person and a loving person at the same time. So if there's bitterness in your heart, you can't truly be loving towards even your own children. Mm. And that could cause uh, at least a low level of abuse towards them, even if you're not actually physically abusing them. How are you using your words or your attitude towards them? So, so many effects mm-hmm. of holding bitterness in your heart. I think we we become bitter because we feel like we're protecting ourselves and we somehow have to um, make reparation. And the only way to do that is to hold on to bitterness and show that person how much they've hurt you. But really, you're hurting yourself more you're, than you're hurting that person. Mm-hmm. And it's very destructive. Mm. Um. We touched on a little bit of this, but what what are the physical symptoms of withholding forgiveness? Right. So absolutely, there's a lot you could look up. And, you know, it might be stated as um, as stress, but if there is bitterness mm-hmm. in your heart, that is a form of stress, mm-hmm. which causes anxiety and depression. And um, if you're specifically thinking about stress, stress causes digestive problems. And so I just wanted to mention, like, if you are having a lot of digestive problems, maybe there's a physical reason for it. Maybe there's foods that you're eating that aren't healthy for you. So absolutely don't rule that out. But especially if you're seeing it in your children, it could be a sign that there is 
a hurt in their life that needs to be dealt with. And mm. you don't want to overlook that because if it might start as a digestive problem, you might think, oh, well, they'll outgrow mm -hmm. it. They'll, they'll be able to overcome it. But once again, I don't have medical evidence for this. I'm not a, a medical professional, but I have certainly seen kids that have trauma in their childhood and it's not dealt with. It is not uncommon for them to grow up and end up with fibromyalgia. Wow. Because the pain has to be released somewhere, mm. right? And if a child doesn't know or isn't able to communicate the pain or the trauma that they've experienced, their physical body is yeah. going to react somehow. So uh, don't just assume that your child's going to outgrow it. Help them to process mm -hmm. it. Draw it out of their heart. Be willing to talk to them. Mm. Don't be like overbearing and become the kind of parent every time they have a stomach ache yeah. that you start getting stressed and anxious because that's going to, you know, not gonna help. that's going to cause further <laughs> stress right. and maybe you're actually the, the source of their stress. Mm. But be aware, yeah. right? And then, of course, stress causes headaches, muscle, muscle tension and pain and uh, could cause heart disease, high blood pressure, all sorts of things. And of mm -hmm. course, that can affect our sleep. And once we're not sleeping properly, it's like a vicious circle, yeah. right? And even weight gain or weight loss, right? And um, mm -hmm. and then if your mind is constantly stressed, you become, you know, uh, unclear in your thinking, you might have memory problems or focus problems. Mm -hmm. And of course, also a compromised immune system, which there's just so many things that can happen if you don't deal with the stress, yep. which could be a cause or a symptom of a lack of forgiveness mm -hmm. in your life. Mm. Okay, well, how do we, how do we move towards forgiveness? Or at least, how do we let go of bitterness? Right. And so once again, I think we become bitter because we've been hurt. And if we've been hurt, we don't want to stay in that state of just excusing it and playing the victim. The way to overcome, the way to let go of our bitterness and our hurt is to know who God is and what he's done for us. It, it all goes back to the gospel once again. Hmm. If you are holding on to bitterness, you are in fact playing the role of God and you have to admit that you are not God. Mm. God is the only rightful judge and so we have to entrust him to enact righteous judgment on the one who has sinned against you. We do not have the personal right to be vengeful towards that person, but we can trust God to do what is right and to judge correctly and perfectly. We know that God is the perfect forgiver. He will judge perfectly and he forgives perfectly because he alone was the one that was able to provide that perfect punishment for our sins. And we see God as the one who serves as the model and the foundation of our forgiveness. And if we are his image bearers, then we are called to represent him by living like him. Of course, we know that only God is able to uh, remove ultimate forgiveness and punishment for eternity and that it's God's wrath that is taken away uh, by the shedding of his blood, which he 
uses to atone for our sin, right? We we can acknowledge that. So so think about who God is. He is the judge. He is the forgiver. He is the actual sacrifice mm-hmm. for our sin, right? We read in God's word that we are justified by His grace as a gift. Through the redemption mm-hmm. that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith, this was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance He had passed over former sins. It was to show His righteousness at the present time, so that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. So, understanding that the mm-hmm. blood of Jesus Christ is the propitiation for our sins. So if we look at the word propitiation, it means that uh, it was a sin offering by the by which the wrath of the deity will be appeased. So we see here that God is wrathful towards sin, but the blood of Jesus Christ appeases that wrath. Mm-hmm. And he is our atonement. The Bible dictionary um, actually describes propitiation as this. It says that by which God is rendered propitious, by which it becomes consistent with his character and government to pardon and bless the sinner. The propitiation does not procure his love or make him loving. It only renders it consistent for him to exercise his love towards sinners. So because of the blood of Jesus Christ, it actually helps him be consistent in his character to show love towards us. Or in other words, we could say that propitiation is the act of being released from the wrath of God by the payment of sin through the blood of Jesus Christ. And this can only be done by a holy God who himself did not deserve to die. And so we know that the sins of all who believe in Jesus Christ have been atoned for. They have been paid for. And so we, as as Christians, want to offer forgiveness as well. And God is the forgiver of sins. And just like we have been forgiven, we also want to forgive other people and be gracious with them. Mm-hmm. And so it always comes back to the gospel, recognizing mm-hmm. that because we have been forgiven first, even while we were still sinners, that Christ died for us we can really rejoice in the fact that we have been reconciled with God, right? We've been mm-hmm. repented, we've been forgiven, mm-hmm. and then we have also been reconciled. Mm-hmm. And God no longer counts our sin against us. Um, and so this is, I think, the first step in in being willing to let go. And I think when we know that God is the ultimate judge, and in the end, any who repent, even the people who have committed the most gracious or grievous sins against mm-hmm. us, they will be forgiven if they repent and trust in Jesus Christ as their Savior. But we also know that if they don't, then God will ultimately send them to eternal damnation and separation without Him. And He's the one that can make that judgment. So we don't have to try and judge them or be vengeful towards them here on earth because we know that in the end God will give them exactly what they deserve and if they do not repent they deserve eternal separation but if they repent God grants them the same Mm -hmm. forgiveness that we ourselves Mm -hmm. 
have been granted. And um, maybe deserve isn't the best word for it because none of us actually deserves forgiveness, but it's by his grace, Mm. his love that he offers that to us. And so just like that has been given to us, he will also give that to all who, who trust in him and repent of their sins and believe that he is their savior and that he died for them personally. And so, yeah, I think it's all about really having an understanding of who he is in what he's done. And when we have that, that proper understanding, then we are able to let go of that forgiveness and just trust God Mm. knowing that he knows best and that he will do what is perfectly just and right. Mm. I love that. It comes full circle in our episode today. It started with the gospel and we ended with the gospel. And um, I know I have, I have some examining of my own heart to do. So thank you, Susie, uh, for giving us some solid biblical insight on this issue. And I know I look forward to discussing this again in our next episode. And we hope that all of you will join us again as we rebuild biblical womanhood from the foundation up. Mm-hmm.